Hey everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I'm Mallory here to talk to you about only four films in this episode. Bit of a shorter episode than usual. Uh, I will admit there have been a couple films I have tried to watch in recent times and because I am at home, I fall asleep. (laughs) Um, I have had a change in my life medication wise that uh does make me pretty tired and sleepy so I need to take it at night and uh uh, if I take it a couple hours before I go to bed I fall asleep really easily but uh I uh I need to just try to watch movies earlier now (laughs) because I used to be um I used to be a big like watch a movie before bed kind of person like two hours before um and I just need to stop doing that <laughs> but uh we need to talk about some movies so what do we have for the count we are at 5,271 films watched uh okay we're gonna start with a film that probably nobody's gonna watch despite me saying some semi-positive things about it it is me you madness from 2021 directed by louise linton and you shouldn't really know who louise linton is um, but she is the wife of former treasury secretary steve mnuchin uh that is treasury secretary under uh president 45 um in the United States, that is. Uh, The tagline is, she's making a killing. Beautiful, ruthless, ambitious, intelligent, and successful businesswoman Catherine Black lives a life of luxury in an architectural dream house in Malibu with exclusive designer fashions, fast cars, and exquisite jewelry. She has no need for a man except to satisfy her natural serial killer instinct, Literally. When Tyler, a petty thief, responds to her online roommate ad, he thinks he struck gold. But he has no idea that after a night of partying and passion, he is really just on her menu to be her next victim. Until real romance gets in the way. And that's about the entire film. Um, I'll give Louise Linton some credit. She's trying to make commentary on the fact that some certain serial killer films from the past 25 years or so are very much like made out to be, oh, I don't know how to say it. There's satire and then there's movies that are kind of glorifying violence. And uh, she wants to do her own satire that sort of takes on the serial killer the mind of the serial killer thing that Hollywood either does be- well or quite badly. Um, <laughs> she uh, specifically takes on American Psycho, um, and I don't think she does like a terrible job at it. But the entire movie itself wants to be satire about girl bossing and uh, you know being rich and disgustingly wealthy and into designer goods and all that stuff. But it's kind of funny that she wants to do a satire like that because if you Google her um, and her husband, there's a picture of him and her holding a big uncut uh, sheet of money, like several sheets of money, paper money. Um, And like they kind of live this lifestyle that this movie is trying to skewer. So it's a little, it's a little tonally questionable as far as the uh, satire edge this movie is trying to do. It doesn't look very good. <laughs> it's very, very bright and very sharp. And the colors, I mean, are vibrant, but it's just a bit garish in its look and not in like a good way. Uh, a more talented filmmaker, probably, oh, I 
I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head. Um, could probably do a better job trying to do this kind of subject matter of this woman who is like clearly just out there to be a man eater, literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, and her parties that she has at her house, or at least the one she has for this man that she's looking to devour, literally and figuratively, um, <laughs> are just like kind of trashy looking <laughs> and like not in a good way like cheap and trashy like a basic person with no concept of like high class or whatever I it just it just doesn't look good it looks like this movie had a certain budget in mind for what they were gonna do but the funds weren't necessarily applied well to really do something with material like it has a neat okay so Color-wise, uh, if you're familiar with this online concept of bisexual lighting, which is like neon blues and pinks, the movie has hues of that, which actually kind of fits because you find out that Louise's character, Catherine, has a girlfriend at a certain point. Um, but, like, it just doesn't look as good as it could. Now, setting aside <laughs> the sort of look of the film, there is some moments, well, there were some moments, rather, that did make me laugh. Uh, Ed Westwick's character, Tyler, um, he's he's not a good actor, but he has this, like, one scene um, after they have a certain interaction together where he, like, basically is singing in the hills, and it's so ridiculous. Like, it's a musical moment, um, and as I said, this movie is going for satire, so there's a certain, like idea of like you know you've you've met this person and they light up your light so much that you have a musical moment that kind of thing it's very goofy and silly and like I said I don't expect anyone to watch this movie um at times the moments where it's trying to be satirical just becomes like too much it doesn't do it in a way that has in mind for the audience it's like let's hammer this like point into the ground so much that it just is like well let's let's get to the next scene can we this is this isn't this isn't working <laughs> um <laughs> uh, I just think it's like overall a movie that wants to say something and be commentary and be cheeky and cool about it but at the same time totally it uh it isn't quite successful uh, I don't regret watching it, though it is the kind of film that I think if somebody doesn't come at it with the right perspective about how you can skewer this kind of content, they're just going to think it's ridiculous and and in not a good way at all. Uh, but that is Me, You, Madness from 2021, directed by Louise Linton. I gave this two stars, and on Letterboxd, I wrote a little review of it. Um, I called this, like... A clearance rack of taste because <laughs> ultimately um, it's it's just it's bizarre like how this movie has this idea of fashion and murder and serial killer stuff because it just doesn't quite get it like okay it's funny if you I, here's how I would put it if you cross clueless with American Psycho you would get this movie for sure <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Louise Linton is also Scottish and it's funny because she's trying to do this like posh version of a Scottish accent, which slips in her usual Scottish accent a little bit here and there, but then she's trying to smooth out her voice and it just doesn't, it doesn't always work. And it's funny. Um, that being said, I think she had overall the right idea of how to do this kind of movie but coming from her because she is the producer writer and director of this um 
not so successful. So like I said, two stars for me, you, madness. Another film with women who are in a certain position. It is Women in Revolt from 1971, directed by Paul Morrissey. The tagline is, the beginning of the sexual revolution. Candy is an aloof heiress caught in an unhappy relationship with her brother. Jackie is a virginal intellectual who believes women are oppressed in contemporary American society. And Holly is an infomaniac who has come to loathe men despite her attraction to them. Together they join to a militant film excuse me, they join a militant feminist group, PEIG, politically involved girls, but their newfound liberation doesn't make them any happier. So, as I said, this was directed by Paul Morrissey. It's also produced uh, by Andy Warhol. He collaborated with Paul Morrissey on this film, and it, despite this seeming like a feminist film, the actual origins of this were kind of Andy Warhol's um, transphobia, because this movie does star uh, three trans actresses, Holly Woodlong, Candy Darling, and Jackie Curtis, and these women are kind of made to be a joke as far as its presentation and their ideas and how they want to stick up from themselves and fight against men, but uh, ultimately it's actually kind of successful because these three actresses get to portray women in these films as they are and rebel against these terrible men. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's basically what the movie is. It's these women going through these different, uh, awful scenarios with men and how they are maybe abused or harmed and how they react, how they stick up for themselves and how they revolt women in revolt, quite literally. Um, I liked this movie. It was a difficult watch in some ways because it is it is very, 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 very bare bones filmmaking, not a big budget project at all. Like if you know anything about Andy Warhol and the factory, it's like it's made from that basically. The idea of just this, you know, creative and these individuals doing stuff that was kind of low budget. And uh, yeah, Andy Warhol, uh, what a jerk. Uh, no, you know, let's be a little more harsh. Let's say, what a son of a bitch. Fuck that guy. Um, for just trying to make this movie that parodied this very real thing that women go through because his idea was that these trans women aren't women, but they are women and they go through the same stuff women go through, unfortunately, all the time. And it actually turns into the very sexual revolution that he's trying to parody in some ways. And, uh, yeah, so too bad for you, Andy Warhol, but uh, Women in Revolt, I think, is a good film to reflect on as far as what these women have gone through in this sort of time and space of the 1970s uh, around the w women's liberation movement, and uh, yeah, it's not like a fantastic film. It's a bit, it, I mean, it's, it's low-budgetness does get in the way of it being able to be like... I don't want to say coherent, but just its st its style or lack of style rather is a little bit trying on the senses. But I think the actresses all are really good. Candy Darling, I really like. I've seen her before, and Jackie Curtis and Hollywood Lawn. They're all going through the same thing, and ultimately, I think Women in Revolt as a piece of history of cinema that talks about the female experience, not just through the eyes of women, but also that trans women go through the same kinds of things. And maybe even in some cases, it's even worse because of how uh, they're viewed, especially by awful men like Andy Warhol, you know. Uh, but I, it's a film that isn't really out there. I was not too familiar with it. 
uh, but it was in my Netflix DVD queue. So I had been seeing some Paul Morrissey films and I think I had added it at that point. And this was one of the ones that I wanted to get in before Netflix DVD goes by the wayside because I don't think this is streaming anywhere. Um, but yeah, it's it's trashy. It's it's low low quality. It's you know it's in some ways a a how what's the word? <laughs> it's a certain place in time, and so we have this you know picture, this artifact in some ways um, about these women. And uh, for better or worse, you know, luckily for better, uh, we're able to view these uh, female characters through this lens and these actresses and. Uh, how they are revolting <laughs> even remarkably in some weird ways against the very conception of this film so women in revolt from 1971 directed by paul morrissey i give this three stars i think if you have any familiarity with the actresses or maybe even are familiar with like uh john waters um work because uh, he i think he did he work with candy darling maybe he didn't i don't I'm, anyway um I think in conjunction, though, with the films of, like, someone like John Waters who wanted to talk about people on the outskirts or maybe shunned by society, um, that's, I think that's a good correlative kind of thread of that kind of cinema. I mean, because, like, Andy Warhol, okay, so it was Hollywood Lawn who I was thinking of, um, because Hollywood Lawn uh, sort of worked in the same circles as uh, Divine, who worked with John Waters. So there we go. But um, yeah, these actresses were all in a number of different films, and Hollywood Lawn was also in Paul Morrissey's Trash. Uh, so I would recommend checking it out if you're into that kind of sort of 70s rebellion kind of cinema, and uh, you might enjoy it. Uh, but like I said, it is it is not your standard kind of filmmaking. It is a different kind of piece. You can even see it as an art piece in some ways these days, but yeah, I gave it three stars. That is Women in Revolt. Uh, another film where women go through certain things, or at least a woman, uh, it is Scissors from 1991, directed by Frank DeFilita. Uh, the tagline is, Angie is about to step over the edge. All she needs is a little help. A woman trying to recover from a sexual attack is locked in a posh apartment with a corpse of the very man she's been dreaming would murder her. She tries to hang on to reality when objects around her seem to come to life. Mm, that's not really the best summary of this, <laughs> but uh, let me tell you a little bit about this film uh, so you can have an idea what of what it's truly about. Um, Sharon Stone plays this woman, Angie. So yes, she is a woman who is attacked. She's a very, oh, how shall I say it? She's a very innocent woman. Um, she lives alone. She just moved to this apartment in Chicago. Um, and she says she's originally, I think she said she originally was from like Oklahoma. I think Sharon Stone's a little bit miscast in the idea of what this character is. Um, I don't think she really has a great grasp on the character, unfortunately, and the costuming of how she's dressed is, I think, doing most of the work. But uh, Sharon Stone's character, Angie, moves to this apartment and she becomes friends with one of her neighbors, who's played by uh, Stephen Railsback, who plays this soap actor um, who uh, starts to take a liking to her and uh, he might have a thing for her too. So this soap actor <laughs> um, who's played by Stephen Railsback, he also has a brother whose name is Cole and Cole's in a wheelchair and things aren't quite what they seem with this brother. 
But ultimately what happens to her is that she she has some she has some fears and she has some trauma from this attack that she experienced and uh one day she uh I think she was like trying to go for for a job through a temp agency and she got this call of like oh show up to this person's apartment so you can help out I can't I believe that's what it was it was like just a quick quick little detail about how she was getting work um but she goes to this apartment and she um yeah, she gets there and uh, it's it's like an apartment. I think I got the sense that like there was real estate dealings happening with the apartment, like listings. Um, but uh, yeah, she basically gets locked in and she can't get out. There's no exit. There's no way for her to knock down a window or anything or a door. Um, she's stuck and it's like on the top floor of this apartment. So if you think about like street view how can anybody see where you are that you need help and um she doesn't really know what to do now i'm not really going to spoil this because i actually kind of recommend the film uh in some ways it feels like a tv movie uh and uh it's it's an odd film in that this character is set up in in a way of being like this victim um and the tone of how it presents her being attacked and then getting in this apartment is is odd it's it's really different it doesn't I don't think this movie really follows a three-act structure very well either uh and with good reason uh this originally the script was going to be an Alfred Hitchcock presents episode so if you think about an episode of that being like maybe 45 to minutes to an like maybe an hour at best it makes perfect sense why this movie just doesn't feel quite right and even in my frustration of it feeling just a little off and it's editing and pacing um I found it really really interesting and intriguing and I didn't quite know where it was gonna go and I did not see the ending coming at all absolutely not uh it was it was really really interesting in that way Despite my frustrations, I give it two and a half stars. And yeah, with Sharon Stone feeling like she's a little miscast. Um, I don't think she's bad in the film, though. As much as she does feel a little bit off for who this character is, if you don't think too hard about her being this certain kind of innocent person and you just think of her as a regular woman, it works in that direction. She's supposed to be this doll repairer, doll maker. Um, and I just don't think that's Sharon Stone any day of the week. <laughs> at least not how this movie presents her it could have it could have done a better job at that it could have yeah but then again like I said I just think she's flat out miscast uh but she's not bad uh Stephen Reel's back as the actor who uh has a twin brother um he's fine and <laughs> it's kind of funny how he like starts to be finding himself interested in her because I also don't see them together at all <laughs> But um, you want to root for him to, you know, try to help her out and, you know, make sure she's taken care of when she's having these experiences. And then there's also Ronnie Cox as her therapist who is married to this politician who's played by Michelle Phillips. Um, their dynamic is not explained a lot. And I would have liked a little more backstory about their relationship because a lot of it is him having appointments with Sharon Stone's character, Angie, and then he watches his wife on TV and it's in a different setting at home and um it just could have been a little more fleshed out like this is the kind of movie 
would be that would be so suited for maybe a remake get someone else to redo it write the script a little differently change the setting it doesn't have to be Chicago it could be anywhere uh and have some fun with it but for what it was and despite it me, me giving it two and a half stars I found scissors to be compelling now I mentioned how it was hard for me to like you know stay awake while watching movies I was glued to watching this at night like I turned this on like really late like later than I should have and I was like no no no, no. I need to finish this I like sat up I was like not like in a sleepy time kind of mode or anything like that I was like focused and able to really finish this but maybe that says something about other movies I fell asleep during <laughs> they didn't have the grab grab on me like scissors did um but yeah scissors from 1991 directed by Frank D. Filita um I don't think it's great. It's a little flawed here and there. Not quite a recommend recommend, but if you're intrigued, um, you can catch it on Amazon streaming for $5.99. Kind of a weird price because usually those are like $2 or $3. And this is an older film. It's not anything new, you know, but uh, I was interested and I watched it. I don't regret renting it despite giving it just a so-so rating. So Uh, let's move on. Uh, the next film and last film for this episode is the Super Mario Brothers movie from 2023 directed by Michael Jelinek and Aaron Horvath. No tagline. How is there no tagline? Let's go. Um, (laughs) while working underground to fix a water main, Brooklyn plumbers and brothers Mario and Luigi are transported down a mysterious pipe and wander into a magical new world. But when the brothers are separated, Mario embarks on an epic quest to find Luigi. I was so disappointed by this movie. I am shocked how much I really hated this movie. I have been a fan of Super Mario Brothers, like the game, since I was a little kid from the first time. I played it at a friend's house and then all those other times I played it at a friend's house. <laughs> and then when I would babysit and I would play Super Mario while the kids were baby- were sleeping where I was. And uh, yeah, I did not grow up having a Nintendo as a kid, but I am now a d- an adult and I have like my own Switch. And I play some of the older games on my Switch and uh, I've always just loved the whole universe for Mario, especially like Nintendo 64 Mario, that whole uh, Super Mario world is uh, 64 Mario is just, it's great. I love it. I love the characters and uh, we get some of those characters like we get Toad, we get Donkey Kong um, and of course there is Bowser, uh, Mario and Luigi, but I could not stand this movie. It was so flat. Like I haven't seen a movie this flat in a very long time there are movies that are bad because they're not done well and then there are movies that are bad because the movie gives you no reason to care about them it just assumes you're going to care about Mario and Luigi because they're Mario and Luigi but uh, the voice acting from um Chris Pratt as Mario and Charlie Day as Luigi wasn't great specifically Chris Pratt not not good um Jack Plack does Bowser, and he was barely in the film. Anya Taylor-Joy was fine as Princess Peach. She was, like, probably the one voice actor I thought was, like, okay. But then again, she is, like, the most exuberant character because she's Princess Peach, and she's she's wonderful. Um, I found this to just be such a slog. It was, like, a really long 90 minutes. But actually, I think when I was watching it and I paused it after the credits uh, started, it was only, like, 82 minutes. 
the movie just doesn't have any depth through it. Uh, the journey of trying to save Luigi is bad. It's not good. And it's all these like references to characters and scenes and places that are just flat and there's no heft behind them. Uh, it would have been a lot more interesting. It could have been a lot more interesting. Take any screenwriter other than who wrote this, who is Matt Fogel. Let's see what he's done. He did the Minions Rise of Gru, the Lego movie, and the uh, Big Mama's House movie that uh, is Big Mama's like father, like son. Ooh. Um, yeah, it, it needed a lot more help in the writing. It needed some help in the directing. Uh, I just can't believe like this, this whole world that I, for so many years, for decades now have always found really fun and bright and great was just so badly treated in this movie. It just felt like a bad advertisement. The story just sucks. It's, it, none of it worked for me. Um, it does look good. That's, I think the only thing that kept me from giving it like a really awful rating like maybe a one star, half a star, no stars. I gave it a one and a half. I just didn't care for this at all. And I know small children are going to watch it and it's going to work for them. But I'm an adult and I have a brain and I want a story if you're going to do a movie because otherwise I'm just going to be wanting playing the video game instead. Uh, also, oh my God, why are we playing music in movies for children that are older than the video game itself? Oh boy, I thought the music was just really really badly shoved in this movie it felt so off it didn't need to do that um the theming was just okay as far as the score could have been a lot more present a lot more fun where was the energy for this as well it just felt like i said it felt so flat there's no enthusiasm about how awesome this world is and then even in the beginning when they're in brooklyn um we meet Mario and Luigi's family and it's just like we we didn't need to do that they could have just been doing a job and just throw them in the world and you know have Mario go and, like really have some fun with the kind of sounds and things that we all enjoy from these games but none of it's there <laughs> absolutely terrible um this might be the worst movie I've seen this year so far from 2023 I'm gonna quickly scan my diary and see if that's the case because I want to say it is, um, as far as movies that have come out in 2023, uh, not like me and him. Okay, so I did give Evil Dead Rise a one star. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I it's, it's bad because I know that people like these movies, but for me, oh, no, not so much. Um, going further down my list, well, I gave Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Okay, co Cocaine Bear, I gave that one star. Yeah, Cocaine Bear is worse than Mario. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Hypnotic, yeah, that's worse than Mario, definitely. Um, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, I'm looking. Uh, okay, so Mafia Mama is like the worst rated movie of the year so far for me. That is leaps and bounds worse than Mario. I would, yeah, I'd, I generally when I'm rating things, I think about like what the sort of bar is. And when you get under two stars from me, it's like, no, I don't ever want to watch this again. Um, and then I think like if rating, if I think about like the worst movie of the year, which is Mafia Mama, um, or Mama Mafia, which was, was it? I don't remember. <laughs> the Tony Collette movie that is so bad. Um, that was like embarrassing levels of like acting and performing and 
storytelling that just made me want to leave the theater, but unfortunately I got too far into it to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, in general, if it's like under two stars, it's like, I don't want to see it again. And then like the one star is going to be, yeah, it's really bad. But one and a half is like, it's bad, but like there was something about it that kept me watching it despite feeling that way. So yeah, visually it's successful, but I think that's about it when it comes to the Super Mario's Mario Brothers movie from 2023 directed by Michael Jelinek and Aaron Horvath oh my god and they're gonna make another one for sure <laughs> how could they not um and it's too bad because I think about all the kids movies I've seen over the years and kids movies get a bad rap I think there's plenty of kids movies out there that are very successful and entertaining even when they're not great this one has nothing great about it and it's it's it, it could have been so much better in my opinion could have like really had some fun with the material that this whole video game universe has presented but alas it's just it's just bad and uh that's the last movie for this episode i uh thank you for listening to cinema 5000 if you want to follow along on twitter and instagram the handle's the same at cinema 5k and uh i'll have some updates on there about what i'm seeing what i'm not seeing and what's coming soon because this is a difficult time of year as you may know for the movie theaters wow um <laughs> we're in august so um blue beetle i will be seeing i know some folks out there are probably like why aren't you reviewing blue beetle on this episode well i wanted to get an episode out today because uh <laughs> uh unfortunately there's only going to be two more episodes between now and mid-September or so because I'm going on vacation and with me going on vacation it's going to be less time to go to the theater but even so movies coming out in the theater are getting slim everybody um <laughs> the next like wide release movie coming out is Gran Turismo I'm not seeing that I have no interest it's not for me um, and then coming September, we have The Equalizer 3. I've never seen the other Equalizer movies. Do I need to? I don't think I need to. If I want to, I don't know if I want to. What What am I going to do? Um, I do know that coming soon, there's a movie to the Criterion Channel. I can't remember the title of it, but I do really want to see that. So I'm going to try to catch up on some 2022 two and 2023 releases so i've got something to talk about but yeah after equalizer three we've got the nun two that's not for me my big fat greek wedding three i'm not going to be able to see that until after i get back from vacation which is almost mid-september and that comes out on the 8th so it won't be too old by the time i review it but even so that's a ways to wait to go to a new movie and then like mid-september haunting in venice that doesn't apply to me uh <laughs> doesn't apply to me it doesn't appeal to me rather uh and, but i i do have one thing you can look forward to that is coming to the podcast for better or worse um <laughs> the uh telluride uh film festival happens in telluride colorado i think like the ending of August, early September. And then they do an offshoot of it in Portsmouth, New Hampshire at the Music Hall. And I'll be going to that. So I'll have plenty of films to see that are new and coming soon and get you the early word on whether or not these films are good or not. <laughs> um, I have my hopes up that we'll get some movies that are awards players. Like um, the last time I went last year, 
and the year before that they had some Netflix movies come like Marriage Story and Bardo with the long title. Um, so I'm hoping we get Maestro so I can give you my feelings on that. That's probably the movie I'm anticipating um, regardless of like my feelings on Bradley Cooper and the Nosegate and uh, things going on with that. In general, I'm just interested to see a movie about a musical talent be portrayed on screen uh, because I uh, I grew up playing cello and clarinet and uh, yeah, I played some Leonard Bernstein before. So yeah, um, <laughs> and I uh, I'm I'm not I have no no other idea of what else could be coming to the festival, but uh, yeah, I uh, I have an idea of a couple films that might come. So it's gonna be heavy drama stuff probably. Like at best, we'll get one movie or two movies that are a little lighter, but it'll be foreign stuff. It'll be, uh, you know, art, arty films, but it'll be something exciting to talk about, get you the early word on them. I am hoping like maybe Poor Things shows up at the festival. I, I don't know how to say like right now when it comes to anything happening with film, what the story is with any certain certainty about any movie because it just kind of feels like everything's up in the air with the SAG strike happening because if the actors can't promote the works then the studios can just go ahead and say well we're not gonna we're not gonna we're just not gonna do it we're not gonna have it come out now we're gonna delay it until 2024 and then you're you're you're, you're done that's it it's over there goes everything with 2023 in the film world. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. So yeah, I'm hopeful for Maestro. Like I said, um, I'm familiar with his music. His works a little bit here and there. I'm not any kind of, <laughs> I'm not any kind of expert, but that's the one movie that just sticks out to me and the sort of things I'm into that I could enjoy. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, uh, as I said, this is Cinema 5000. I am Mallory. Follow along on Instagram and Twitter. Cinema 5K is the handle. And we'll talk soon about other new films. All right. Bye.